Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Rise and shine, football fans. Welcome to Morning Footy. I'm so happy to have you starting your day with us. I'm Susanna Collins alongside Nico Cantor. Charlie Davies is back. Alexis Guerrero's. We've got Jenny Chu with some headlines. Charlie, how you feeling? You <laughs> what a loaded you question. put on a, you put on in a Ooh. shift yesterday. Can we mm. talk about you yeah, it's a shift. watching the U.S. match, but then also mm. calling the New England game? Yeah. And now you're here. <laughs> yeah. Bright and early this morning. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? What's your secret? Passion. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll tell you right now, I'm not here unless I love the game and I love working with y'all. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's a commitment. Uh, we all put in an effort to make it work, get here early, all the people behind the scenes. So how, who, who am I to complain about, uh-huh. you know, Making, making oh, I complain all the time. Yeah, no, honestly, yeah, yeah. honestly like, instead of who am I to complain, I go, well, do you know who I am? <laughs> there are very few people in the industry that I know I am? <laughs> that have the energy that Charlie does. And the way that he's moving back and forth from Boston, I don't think many people in the world would have such a happy smile like Charlie does no. every single day to the fact that it's almost annoying. Like, bro, be mad yeah. once, I know. man, please. Yeah. Like, what ticks you off? Ooh, nothing, nothing like. You, don't you dare say like injustice. Like I need like a specific. <laughs> like, people who hunk too much. Give me I, something. I, I try to not make things too serious. Like life is is short. To and you try to make the most of every single day. So I don't. I used to, before when I was younger. I used to hold grudges. Yeah. I was just. I put. I I felt like I was always trying to prove someone wrong. I, I was. I lived life with a chip on my shoulder. And I use that as fuel to keep pushing and make the most of all the opportunities I had. Now, as like a father, a husband, going through the ups and downs of life, I know things can change in a second. So I wanna make sure like I'm running full speed. And one person that I was really moved by was Virgil Abloh when he had cancer and he didn't tell anybody. Mm. He wanted to get everything off his chest every single day. He wanted to do as much because he knew he had a clock. And we all have a clock, we just don't know. So for me, if I can make the most of every single day, not knowing when the next day is, you know, could be my last, that's how I'm moving. And, and I, if I'm at home and I'm just sitting not doing anything, I'm like, Something, something's off. Wow. Clearly. Wow. What, so inspirational after a massive U.S. loss. I was like, just going to say, down as we are. <laughs> so, it's, so never, it's, so it's never that bad. But I was going to say, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're giving us this pep talk because things are about to get a little sad yeah. at yeah. this desk right now. Uh, Gold Cup semifinals, USA 
lose to Panama. It went to extra time. It was 1-1, and mm -hmm. then they end up losing in penalties, 5-4. So here is a look at the updated bracket. Sadly, the U.S. will not be playing in a final. It's going to be Mexico who beat Jamaica 3-0, taking on Panama on Sunday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Okay, so let's chat about... <sighs> Uh, let's get into this U.S. performance because mm -hmm. if you guys could have seen our group chat that we have amongst the, the morning footy crew as this game was progressing, I mean, Nico, you kind of said it. You said this it was just disappointing. Um, this wasn't a team that looked like they were going to produce any big moments. And then, Charlie, I was just talking to you in our production meeting, and I said, I was like, who... Who is this on? You know, like who who are, who are the players that you think could have could have done more? And you said, you know what? Overall, I just I kind of feel bad for this group. Can you kind of elaborate yeah. on on <clears throat> what you meant by that and mm -hmm. why that is your reaction to this result? I think there would be a big difference if this was our A team, our best available team, and they go out and they put in a, a lackluster performance and they don't win the Gold Cup, let alone get to the final. I think the expectations with this group. It's the BC team, if you will, that this is kind of what you expected for them to be not, not as dominant in these performances. There was nothing convincing against some of the, the top teams. I mean, the first game against Jamaica, they were, they, were the, they were second best. And so going against the Panama side, which don't get the credit that they deserve, I think the way that they're set up and they're structuring and Karaskia and Godoy anchoring the midfield, they make it a very difficult game. And they, they were gonna come out with this you know, chip on their shoulder, this high intensity. And I just don't feel that the players rose to the occasion. Mm -hmm. But I'm not, I'm not angry. And typically when the US play and they lose, I am bull, you know, there's that. It is what it is. Yeah. I, I'm not upset because I know this, this isn't the best that we have. Whereas every other nation, that's their A team. They need to win this. Mexico, they were flipped upside down. Now they're, on, they're starting to get back on the right path. And, and they needed this competition. This was more so for these players to try and make an argument for themselves, a case to get more looks. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of players who did not live up to expectations. There's a lot of players who met expectations and very few who I think were, were trending up in the right direction. That's where I'm most disappointed at because this was a showcase for these fringe players or some of the fringe players that are looking to possibly somehow convince Berhalter to make a 2026 World Cup team. And throughout the Gold Cup, I don't, especially yesterday, I don't think anybody was convincing to say, hey, give me a shot. And I understand, yeah, the US can lose in the Gold Cup, can get eliminated. Sure, because it is a lower caliber team, but it's not like they're playing at worse clubs than where the Panama players are playing no. at or where the Canada players are playing at. And, on, and not only that, from an individual perspective, collectively, it was very poor. The gold, look, look at the Gold Cup in overall for the United States. They really struggled against Jamaica. They could have lost had it not been for a penalty kick save by Matt Turner. It probably would have been a loss. But you know what? They snagged a point against a team that had been reinforced by dual nationals. St. Kitts and Nevis, Trinidad and Tobago, 
put that aside. An amateur St. Kitts and Nevis and one of the worst training and tobacco sides I've seen in several generations. Then you move on to the Canada game where it was completely unconvincing and you escaped in a penalty kick shootout but you drew over 120 minutes mm -hmm. and then you played against a team like Panama that I think throughout the 120 minutes, I think the larger portions of the game Panama played better, yes. and, you, and you were eliminated at the end of the game. So you were only able to beat St. Kitts and Trinidad and Tobago. It was overall, uh, for a B and a C team, it was a D, World Cup, uh, D Gold Cup performance. I think if you, if you look at it overall, I think it's a little harsh to say no one reached the top. I think we all spoke very glowingly about Dewan Jones. I think he's someone who should get a second look. I'll continue to say that I think James Sands should get an, a, a continued look um, in that defensive midfielder position. Even after yesterday? Even after yesterday, yeah, because I think for most parts of the game, I think he showed you exactly I think what I thought. Yesterday, he wasn't, he wasn't that, that bad. I think yesterday, he I, again, played. I, he, I, I'm going to take played. a little umbrage in the way you're speaking about him, but that's, that's where everyone is allowed to have their opinion. What I'm going to say is, I think if, uh, <laughs> right, it's not what I normally, how I normally talk, but whatever, <laughs> new day. Uh, <laughs> what I, what I want to say is the tail of the tape for this match alone, and yes, you're 100% right in your assessment of the entire Gold Cup. It still was our C squad versus everyone else's A, so I'm, I'm, I'm with Charlie. I'm not going to look at this and go, how dare you? What I am going to say is Thomas Christensen showed what an established, long-term kind of, you know, with a little bit more... A visionary. Yeah, visionary coach would how you would set up a team they were well drilled they knew exactly what to do and he played to each player's strength meanwhile you look at the u.s and this kind of has to sit probably on his lack of experience it's not a major diss on bj callahan but this kind of sits on his lap because this was a team that never gelled through all the matches they played 100%. they never became a team and at the point you needed them to and they still could not find because if you look there's there's talent this is a talented squad they just had no idea how to connect and, and what i love about that is that B.J. Gallagher after the match said, this is on me. Mm -hmm. This isn't about the players, this is on me. But he, he set up this team, other than the only questionable one was Aaron Long being put into the starting 11, but he, he put out the team that he thought was best to, he to, took, to win. He took out Zendejas, uh, he put Ferreira together and, with and, and Vasquez. And to build off of your statement on the, the players were one of the clubs they play at, on paper, you can say teams are better than this team, better than this team. It doesn't matter about on our starting 11, where, where no, players play. It's a, the about field. the team and the performance 100%. on the field. And some people want to talk about, oh, is this starting 11 better? No, it's mm -hmm. about the team. Yep. And the Panamanian side, they were well drilled with Thomas Christensen, set up tactically. They were the better team. And I'll just say this. Maybe uh, 11 players all trying to individually showcase themselves isn't the way to go into a competition. Yeah. And just to add to Thomas Christensen and to, the, to the, that, this, this cycle that he's had, they could have fired him after World Cup qualifiers. Mm -hmm. They almost made the World Cup and they said, you know what? They saw something and they had that vision and look where they're at. No. Yeah, I mean, you said it yesterday that Panama was going to be a tough hey, no, opponent no for dark the United arts, States. No dark yep. arts. They played the United yep. for the for when the game was even from the get go. When they were everybody was fit, everybody was healthy, everybody uh, had a hundred percent stamina mm -hmm. in in their tank. Somebody signed Coco Carasquilla. Panama played the U.S. <laughs> they deserved it. They deserved that win. And, he is a beast. Uh, it's paying off. They will be facing Mexico in the final. All right, uh, we're going to dive more into this later on in the show. Right now, we're going to take a break. Jenny Chu. Will We'll be back with some headlines when we return. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back. Well, big news yesterday. CBS Sports Galazzo Network launching the new Attacking Third show. It was a podcast, but now you can watch it right here on the Galazzo Network every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And look at this lineup. Our All very stars. own Jenny Chu. What's up? Oppie Miller, Jordan Angeli, Darian Jenkins, Lisa Carlin, Sandra Herrera, Anita Jones, and Christine Cupo. That is an all-star roster. Also, low-key, a good seven-a-side. Right? <laughs> I mean, that is not a bad lineup. No, it's great. This is great. What I love about this, too, is that CBS Sports and the Galazzo Network continue their commitment to the women's game and the coverage of the women's game, which is so great to see. This is a fantastic podcast that you should be listening to already. And now you have no excuse. Mm -hmm. It's going to be... And there's a lot of people behind the scenes, women specifically, that are contributing to the success of women's soccer on, on CBS, mm -hmm. who also deserve a lot of credit, and they're the best. Ones. Massive. Uh, hey, Jenny Chu, round of Come applause. On. Oh, the green jacket is fire. She won the Masters. Yeah. She won the Masters. Fuego. This is honestly so exciting for all of us involved. I mean, this is something that we have been pushing for. Um, there's so many women behind the scenes, and not just women, that care about the women's game. And so for that to finally be a, a show was the natural evolution of the podcast and what we started so long ago with Lisa and Sandra doing such a great job on the podcast. So this is incredibly exciting and, and we're so lucky. We're, so we're, lucky we're getting so happy off for on you. Monday. Congrats, Thank you. girl. Thank you, Let's Susanna. Go. For today's headlines, the Women's World Cup is one week away and you can add England to the list of participating teams locked in a battle over compensation. According to a report by The Independent, the England women's national team is in a dispute with the English FA over World Cup bonuses, a dispute that may not be resolved until after the tournament. At the heart of the dispute is England players believing the FA should supplement the bonuses FIFA has already committed to the Women's World Cup. According to the bonus structure, World Cup players are due bonuses of $30,000 for participating in the group stage, with bonuses increasing depending on how far teams go. Members of the World Cup winning team will receive $270,000. England's players are seeking to have the FA contribute to making those bonuses larger. Staying in England, Nottingham Forest defender Harry Toffolo has been charged by FA with 375 betting offenses between 2014 and 2017. The English fullback committed the offense while playing, while he was playing for Norwich City. Toffolo has until July 19th to respond to the charges. This news comes three months after Brentford striker Ivan Tony was banned for eight months for violating betting rules as well. I bet this won't turn out well. Wow. Moving over to transfer news, the Saudi Pro League has grabbed headlines this summer for their aggressive push into the transfer market, but that movement has hit a snag after FIFA slapped Al Nasser with a transfer ban for failing to make a payment on a previous transfer. According to multiple reports, Cristiano Ronaldo's club is facing a three-transfer ban transfer window ban if it doesn't pay the $500,000 it owes English side Leicester City for the transfer of Nigerian forward Ahmed Musa in 2018. Al Nasser is expected to pay off the debt in order to avoid the ban. You think? $500,000 and they're paying <laughs> hundreds of millions? Exactly, That's Charlie. That's three days of Ronaldo's <laughs> While Al Nasser is dealing with its own issues, the Saudi Pro League's other teams continue to go after top talent, with Liverpool in jeopardy of being the next team to lose talent to the Middle East. According to multiple reports, Liverpool captain Jordan Henderson is weighing an offer to join Al Etifak, which recently hired Steven Gerrard as their manager. Also reigning Saudi champion Al Etihad is reportedly lining up for a $52 million bid for Brazilian defender Fabinho. Al Etihad has already added Karim Benzema and N'Golo Kante this summer. I don't like it, Jenny. Yeah, there's plenty, there's plenty there. Dele Alley opened up about his life in a wide-ranging interview with Gary Neville, revealing the trauma he endured as a child including being sexually abused. Ali, Ali also admitted 
to recently spending six weeks in rehab to help him with a sleeping pill addiction and opened up about seriously considering retiring at the age of 24. What was the point where you started to feel that it wasn't right? Like one morning I woke up, I had to go training. This is when he'd stopped playing me. I remember just looking in the mirror. <laughs> I mean, it sounds dramatic, but I was literally staring in the mirror and I was asking if I could retire now at 24, you know, doing the thing I love. For me, that was heartbreaking. It's always been me against myself in everything. I was winning the fight, smiling, showing that I was happy, but inside I was definitely, you know, losing the battle. Trauma is trauma, and your body registers it in the same way no matter what it is. If you knew about my life, you would understand that a little bit more. I want to help other people to know that they're not alone in the feelings they've got and doesn't make you weak to get help. Charlie, this was an eye-opening interview and a, a reminder that we rarely know what sort of things anybody and these players mm -hmm. are dealing with off of the field. How do you feel about, about everything he had to say there? It's, it's emotional. Um, just seeing that uh, video just because there are a lot of things that people have to deal with and they keep it inside because it's, it's viewed as weak if you talk about it or if you seek help. And, you know, I, I think it's so courageous of him to come out and, and talk about some of those things. I mean, that, that's as tough as it comes yeah. as a child. It's crazy too because there was a there was a moment where Deli Ali was at the top of his game. I mean, the way that we were were speaking about him as a player. Remember um, the goal against Crystal yes, Palace? Yes, I mean it was it was incredible, and that sort of fall from grace. You, I think a lot of people were asking the question, "What happened? What happened to Deli Ali?" And now we know, and it's horrifying. And you said it. Charlie, I mean, just a massive amount of the amount of courage it took to come forward and word. and talk about what he was actually dealing with. What's super interesting here is how far in England and the UK the culture, excuse me, <clears throat> the culture has progressed, where men can talk about these things openly, publicly, because for so many decades, it was all about being tough, getting stuck in, being a man, bleeding, uh, muddy shirt, and just not complaining. And there, if you can hone the best of that, but also show your vulnerability. And, and if your brain is not 100%, it also is a very important muscle. It's like another muscular injury. And from my time in London, being working on the Golasso show in, in England, I saw this shift in, in narrative to, you know, speak openly, help people speak openly about this, show these vulnerabilities and normalize these types of struggles and, and, and make everybody know that it's okay. Because I think for a long time, and not only in England, but in other places in the world where we expect men to be tough and, and gritty and, and not show emotion, a, a lot of people have bottled up that, mm -hmm. that weakness. And, and you know, I, I, I think now we're realizing that maybe that's not the way to go. Yeah, and not just men. I, these are that's footballers. True, yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I do think it also shines a light on the responsibility of the staff and the coaching. You know, uh, you played at a very high level. I obviously didn't. But the thing you hear a lot from players is, oh, it's like a, it's a family in that locker room. We're all brothers. It's a family. Sometimes in family, you have to put your arm around somebody. It's not just, hey, you're not doing it on the field. It's why aren't you doing it on the field? You know, when I was a manager of a sales team, one of the first things they tell you is when someone's not performing, it's not about, yo, go get your numbers up. It's find out why they're not performing to that expectation. So seeing this and seeing what you said, and let's call what it is, toxic masculinity, which yes, can be overused, but what stops somebody from saying is, yo, I'm in pain, yo, I'm hurt, and self-medicating is because they feel they're not gonna get support when they say it. So to be at the point where now the majority of us are saying, we, I wish we would have known earlier, I wish we would, we would be able to support someone like Deli Ali, and getting the outpouring of love is a massive positive step moving forward. But the thing he touched on is when they're not performing, figuring out what's up. Yeah. yeah. It's when they are performing, mm -hmm. to, to, to have that, connection and that support while you're doing it because it's easy to say oh this guy something's up with this guy but you're not willing to open up hmm. I've played with so many players who are dealing with things off the field whether it's family issues health issues and they're never gonna allow you in because you you feel like at this point I'm not gonna open up now and become weak I have to just keep putting my head down and keep focusing and just say, oh, it's nothing. Uh, I'm just out. I'm not in good form. Was it like that in France, Sweden, and Denmark? Yeah, I played with some, some players who were dealing with a lot of, of heavy things. Uh, one of my former teammates in France uh, was going through some really difficult marital issues and um, drove to training. One, one day, we were practicing, and police officers showed up. Jeez. And wow. they handcuffed him. And we're like, what happened? All the way to the training stadium from his place, he crashed into multiple um, part signs and street, oh lamp, street lamps, fences, and, and was hit. we all could see he was visibly drunk at practice. And, and so that's just one player that I can think of. Wow. I mean, there was a lot of instances where players are keeping big secrets in, they're, they're, yeah. they're dealing with a lot of, of Serious issues, whether it's children at home that are sick or marital issues, family issues, asking health. for money. Um, you know, it, it's it's a it can be very difficult and daunting to be a professional athlete. Yeah. To remind you, they're human beings. I know, and I'm exactly. Yeah, especially exactly. If at a young age and during your upbringing, you're not given the tools, or at least uh, your surrounding and your context doesn't help you become stronger mentally or learn how to deal with these things. And then you're thrust into the limelight as a professional footballer, suddenly making a lot more than probably the rest of the people that are surrounding you, and you have you have to deal with it, right? So um, there's a huge I, I amount think, of pressure yeah. that comes with that, um, and I just give him my heart goes out to. So. Ali and I give him so much credit because he actually said too he's he's coming forward with this because he wants to help people mm -hmm. that are going through something similar. So um, I think all of our hearts are respect. are with him. Massive amount of respect. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, lots more to come on Morning Footy when we return. Welcome back. Gold Cup semifinals last night, and here is the updated bracket. It's going to be Mexico and Panama facing off in the final on Sunday after Mexico take down Jamaica 3-0, and the United States fail to beat Panama. They lose this one on PKs 5-4. A lot didn't go right for the United States mm -hmm. in this match. Charlie, one of the things that we had talked about was that Jesus Ferreira, and Brandon Vasquez, both on the pitch together mm -hmm. for this, but that experiment did not work. Why? 
Jesus Ferreira, we saw him. He was active in this game. Wildly the, active. The, the pass from Yedlin, you expect him to finish that just inches wide, but you expect the player who's in form, like Jesus Ferreira, to finish that chance. But I think when he's starting now on the right and he's trying to come inside, you're losing the dynamic that you had when he was playing as a, as a nine high up the pitch with support on the wings, given Zendejas didn't perform well, but you had options on, on the flanks. Now you're taking away that option and you're relying now on your right back to give you that width in Brian Reynolds who didn't have a, the best of games. So you're taking away what Jesus Ferro did so well in terms of his positioning, his starting point, which was so high, mm -hmm. where you want to see him develop because now he's focused on playing off the center back's back shoulders as opposed to now just being underneath all the time where it's much more predictable. And you, you lost a little bit what, which, what made him difficult to defend and being fluid of checking to space, but also staying high. And if Jesus Ferrer wants to be a nine, which he is playing at club, he's trying to make a case for that, then he's got to be there. So you lost that dynamic and they, that partnership did not work well. Interesting. You, we also talked about um, in the first segment that there were, there were certain players that this was an opportunity for them mm -hmm. and they didn't show up. I know we're really harping on the negative here, but let's get that out of the way. Um, who are some of the players that you think had an opportunity and just kind of missed the boat? They squandered it. In this, in this game in particular? In the tournament. Let's talk about tournament. Yeah. Well, Zendejas is the number one player, I think, across the board who had a lot to live up to to try and make a case for himself playing in that A-team, of being that dual national, I'm, make this big announcement, people are excited, a, a player at, at Club America who's coming in and did not live up to expectations and got opportunities, played on the right, played on the left, and just couldn't make an impact, tried to do too much, his touches weren't, weren't in sync, and that's a player that I think only did harm to, to hit himself in this tournament. Can I add somebody to that list? Yeah. Gianluca Busio. I think he had a lot to gain from this Gold Cup. He had, he had some good moments. Yeah, I actually disagree. Yeah. Only because I, his stock was so low. I disagree with you as I well. I think that because, because of he, hit, he had basically been exiled from the U.S. men's national yeah. team, and then this was an opportunity, and he scored a goal. He, he, he had a beautiful he's not, he's penalty. He scored a beautiful Venezia, penalty. He's not even playing at Venezia. Uh, oh, oh. His, no. the, the bar was tournament. low. This was only an opportunity. He didn't hurt himself in this He tournament. didn't shine whatsoever. No, so let's, let's, let's start yeah, from what was his expectation. Hold up. The argument here is that Let's start by saying that save Matt Turner and maybe Miles Robinson, there's nobody on this Gold Cup team that should be on an A team. Uh, I, I also you could you that. could argue for Dewan Jones. Yes, could, and maybe. Yeah. but yeah. those three mm -hmm. at best, mm -hmm. nobody else shines. Look, Gianluca Busio after after the U.S. conceded to Panama, but look at the ball that he gives up. Uh, right off kickoff. Yeah. And then there's so many unforced errors, not only yesterday, but in, in the game against Canada as well. Yeah, he, he helped produce the goal. Naturally, there are going to be things that, that these players do well because, again, against opposition that is on paper, on paper, because you always, like you said, Charlie, you always have to go out on the field and perform on paper. You're better than nobody 
very few people on this U.S. men's national team at this Gold Cup shined. I think the term you're using, shine, is different than what the expectation that was set for some of these players. Gianluca Busi in particular, not playing for his club, not playing for his country, gets an opportunity, has moments where you're like, hey, I'm seeing something. Enough for right. a club to be like, oh, and, and that's they, all they should give That's and all neither, so his right, stock and neither Mihailovic. No, up. I wouldn't say his stock I, went I wouldn't, up. He was, I, I, he was in the negative. Yeah. His stock went at least to base. I, don't, I wouldn't I'm necessarily say his, his stock right, I want is it in up, the green. but it's a moment for him to say, guys, I can still play. Yeah. Club, have yeah. a club come and take me. Even if it's to go back to MLS at this point, it's better than right. sitting in on the bench in Serie Bay. He so, did not. He did not hurt himself in no, this tournament at all. all. I think there are the guys like Zendejas who rolled on ooh, in the exactly. men's national team conversation. I, I, uh, when's Gianluca Busio going to get called up? In the, I'm not talking about him for his club career and blah blah okay. blah. And, <laughs> we're talking about for the men's okay, national we're team. We're coming at when, it from different lenses. When, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, okay, but for the men's national team, when is Gianluca Busio going to get another shout? January camp. Okay, other than ja other than January camp, because not, with not, official not, in an official tournament, not with the A team, no, not with the okay. A team, no, and and then Aaron Long, but that's what we're talking that's about. A, a, another, he's player. also yeah. up there in age where I'm like, okay, we saw what we, we saw. saw. We saw. Aaron had some great games. I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, yeah. Also, Miles looked a little shaky as well last night. All right, quickly, let's uh, let's chat about Jamaica, Mexico. Um, if, of just a few weeks ago at Nations League, I mean, we were talking about Mexico being going through the darkest period mm -hmm. that they ever have experienced. And now they are playing in a Gold Cup final. Nico, yep. this turnaround within a matter of weeks feels, I don't know, just unexpected for me. Is um, I, I think the new manager, Boost, definitely helped. Yesterday was by far Mexico's best performance at the Gold mm -hmm. Cup. Yes. And I think it was paired with Jamaica being a little bit inexperienced when they had to face adversity. Um, and it showed on the field from the get-go the intensity that they brought to the fit pitch, the intensity that they, that they brought to their rhythm of the game was extraordinary and, and the Jamaican midfield was very lackluster. Mm -hmm. They weren't able to show and, and support their team. When Jamaica wanted to play out of the back, Mexico was smothering Swarmed them. Swarmed them. Um, and it, it, it def the, the discrepancy showed and I think for Jamaica that was very hyped going into this tournament. Um, we said it when the tournament began, they were on a heavy losing streak going into this game and dual nationals can only do so much it's it's not a complete Jamaican team and there was this dark horse candidate slapped on them immediately because of the names of the players that are coming from the Premier League well, they, Michael Antonio they, in World Cup qualifiers they didn't play well for Jamaica and he didn't play in the Gold Cup he, he hasn't scored big goals he scored a big goal against the US in World Cup qualifying but one of the few I, I know but I'm just saying they they made improvements but again, they relied too much on Damari Gray and Leon Bailey, on Mikel Antonio, and they did not step up. Damari Gray had those moments where he tried to bust through the midfield and those long runs because pace gets at this, this Mexican side. They just weren't. And they, they weren't going for it. There no. was a moment late in the second half where the game took a slump and Mexico shifted down a couple of gears. And that was their moment to get that goal, plant that moment of doubt, get one back and say, hey, we're still in. Man, and they didn't go. They weren't going for it.
Mexico was like, what if you just don't let the three Premier League players get the ball? <laughs> and it turns out it works. Good game plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to take a break. We're going to dive into some midweek MLS results on the other side. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Midweek MLS action Wednesday night. Here's a look at some of the results. The New England Revolution get the 2-1 win over Atlanta. Hey, look at this. Philadelphia Union with the 2-0 win over Nashville at Nashville. That is a great result for them. San Jose get the 2-0 win over Seattle. And Vancouver, we're all big Vanny Sartini fans now after our chat with him yesterday. That They got the 2-1 win over Austin FC. Let's dive into some of these results. Charlie Davies, yes. who just happened to be on the call for that New England-Atlanta match. A big result for the Revs. What did you see? Massive result. They need their DP in Giacomo Brioni to come good. You, you can't have a DP in this league who's not playing and, and not performing. And so now he gets an opportunity up top. And that first goal, Carlos Hill, in transition, Meg Sosa. I mean, I think Sosa, Santiago Sosa must be on Jeez. at least four highlight reel uh, where Carlos Hill just absolutely abuses him in the midfield, but skates by him and then plays this incredible through ball. Vrioni, look at the patience. Oh, wow. Takes a couple oh, touches. That, that reminds me of the Carlos, Carlos Vela against San Jose earthquakes when he dribbled the whole team and then <laughs> took a couple extra touches in the six-yard box. I thought box. he was going to do the Ronaldinho, hit it with his forehead. There's go. a goal that Maradona scores that is eerily similar to really? that against River. Ooh. Yeah, in 1981. And he takes the goalkeeper and he waits for somebody on the line. The patience. Vrioni has struggled mightily. But that finish there, that did not look like a striker who was stressed. He looked relaxed, comfortable. There were some good touches. The first 45 minutes from the Revolution was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Played Atlanta off the park. Tiago Amada is a baller. There's, there's no doubt about that. But what the Revs did so well is they always had someone close to him. And then once he got on the ball, another came to support. And there was always a third player coming in from behind. So they really tried to neutralize him. Even so, Amada still had moments. Mm. But this Atlanta side is, is yeah. not anywhere near what they used to be. They're so inconsistent, Charlie. Beginning I, of the season, remember how yeah. they were like lighting it up. And then all of a sudden, it's just they can't seem to find that rhythm again. They, they, without Almada. They, they don't have anything. You know, this... Are they too, they're too dependent on, on Almada. Then. Think about those Atlanta, the Atlanta United side with, obviously, El Marron and just Martinez. Okay. They win, Bijalba, they, they win MLS Cup with Tata Martino team. as the head coach. You, you don't sell any of those players because you know you can win. You, you, if you sell, you, you risk, the, you put the team in jeopardy of, of pursuing an MLS Cup. This team does not have a real shot at winning MLS Cup. Mm. Obviously... Anything can happen, but realistically, they are not that good. If you can sell Tiago Amada for a world uh, an MLS transfer record, you do it. You you sell him because he's that good, and this team could I think needs to go through a, a rebuild because it's they have some young players, but there's no one there. I mean, Jakob Makis comes in; he's still injured with his hamstring. Other, I mean, it's it has they been going through a rebuild though. It's not great. Wasn't last year considered a rebuild as well, for Atlanta? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I it, mean, it's not good. But They set the, the bar so high for themselves. Is I mean, uh, Pineda in trouble, do you think? I think after the season, yeah. the, the, they'll probably have some conversations. Depends, depends where they end with Pineda. Mm -hmm. But the revolution, they just traded Latif Blessing 
to Toronto in, for, in exchange for Mark Anthony K. I think that's a good trade. Ian Harks is made his depth? first start. Mark Anthony K. Has a walk. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't depth. walk into the start. Ian Harks came in. Uh, I think he he looked pretty good, mm -hmm. solid. This is his first start. But Gustavo Bo, finding that partnership with Gustavo Bo and Giacomo Rioni will be key to see mm -hmm. if the, the Revs can stretch to make this run down the stretch. But Jorge Petrovic, pff, oh, he's this, special. This is this keeper yeah. is incredible. Yeah. His timing, he he makes the right choices when to come out, when to make, make himself big. There was a moment where Caleb Wiley had a one-on-one -on -one, and he came out just enough to cause him to hesitate. And once he hesitated, he retreated back to his goal to allow his, his teammate, I think it was Andrew Farrell, to come back, close that space down. So Wiley now has to whip a ball in and it's a shot cross at Thiago Amada yeah. running in. And you just think those small details mm. that Jorge Petrovic gets, well, uh, gets right, He's going to go for a lot. He, of isn't it wild that they have gone from Matt Turner to Georgie Petrovich? Yeah. If you want to get sold to as a keeper, go to England. Like, it's, <laughs> well, Kevin Hitchcock. That's crazy it's, it's, to me. He's the goalkeeping coach. He was at his Chelsea. stock is up. Oh, yeah. he, he's he's the one. He's the man. He's he's just a, a, a he's a player's coach, but he's getting the most out of every keeper who comes in. He raises their profile. Yeah. If I'm a if I'm a coach around the league. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to steal him. <laughs> He's that good. Yeah. Um, did you guys uh, make official uh, the signing of Tomas Chancalay, the Argentinian yes. kid? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is one of those, we were talking about this yesterday, you asked me. He's How does he fit coming in, from, from, the, from the Arabian Gulf to MLS. He wasn't that big at Racing where he was playing in Argentina. Where Gustavo Bo. Correct, played. where Gustavo Bo made his name in Argentina, essentially. So Chancalay went to the UAE, I believe, and then back. And that's when from Racing is where the Revs are buying him. But he's one of those Argentine wild cards that aren't so highly regarded in Argentina. Mm -hmm. He, I think he's just another player from Argentina that maybe he can find this home wild card. in MLS, so you never know. You know, Revs are looking just to add and to strengthen. They've done well before, especially with it's a calmer the Some people tend to shine in that. Um, mm -hmm. Well, let's. Can we talk about the uh, the Pookie party? Yes. In Minnesota, uh -huh. Finland's all-time leading scorer uh, gets his first start with Minnesota United. They were visiting Houston. P.S. The heat index at the start of this match was 111 oh, degrees. It Jesus. was crazy, crazy hot. But look at that service from Emmanuel Reynoso to Puki, who made this goal look so easy. This is not an easy finish. And he just is so casual. It is for some. About it. <laughs> so I, I have a question. Not for you, girl. I, I, I have a question. How, how's Minnesota looking now that Bebelo's back? And Ooh. He, you can potentially yeah. really get them like polish a partnership well, between these two guys. That's what Pookie. they desperately needed was that they they were creating opportunities. They just lacked that finisher in the final third. And now you bring in a proven goal scorer, a guy who is so good in tight spaces in the box in Pookie. I mean, he is what we saw in the last two matches. I think he played about uh, 60 minutes in the match before. He got the start in this one. That partnership with Reynoso, he needs service. Maybe. This is a guy that needs service. And if Reynoso can provide that service, they can score some goals. So this is, uh, this is a 
exactly how Adrian Heath would have wanted this game. Also, they the finally have a striker. through the roof with that partnership. Yeah, yeah I mean, they the finally striker. have a striker. Like, what is Minnesota? This the tenth, is this the 10th tenth, <laughs> tenth attempt at finding a striker? For Minnesota you? has been on the struggle bus yeah. when it comes to finding someone up top. And Pookie seems like the kind of guy they're like, hey, bro, just get it into space. He'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty great. Yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> I think they're still sitting below the playoff line at this point, but they've got a couple games in hand. This was a massive win on the road at Houston where they don't give mm-hmm. up a lot of points at home. So, yeah. They need Things. to get in the playoffs, though. This has got to be Adrian Heath's last shot, right? Yeah. If, They've if made they it for five seasons in a row. If they well, don't get into the playoffs. Especially you, you, with a big investment it. like a poop. Come on. Yeah, that's uh, it. I like how objective you are. Thank you. I'm She's trying, trying so hard. hard. Pre-production but, hey, meeting, it ain't the, the same. The hype, is, the hype is real now with those two on, <laughs> back in the fold. It is. Yeah. It is. Absolutely. Game changers for them. All right, guys, uh, we're going to take a break. We have Ambizo Zamane. He is a former pro and a, um, an expert in African football. We are going to chat uh, Morocco and other goings-on in the world of football in Africa. After the break, don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Well, Morocco has taken the soccer world by storm recently with an impressive World Cup run that saw them advance to the semifinals, finishing fourth overall. Their women's team will be making their first World Cup appearance in this year's tournament, and the U23s just won AFCON over the weekend. So it has been a pretty fantastic year for soccer in Morocco and in Africa. So for more on this and other stories, um, let's bring in former pro and African soccer expert, Mbizo Zamane. Welcome to Morning Footy. It's great to see you. Morning, folks. Thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Okay, so you are in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which is where you said you have been for the last four years. What are you doing there? I'm doing a number of things, as a matter of fact. Uh, I'm an educator at a pretty snazzy uh, private school down here, Uh, but I'm also coaching. I came down to do my uh, CBF coaching badges with the Brazilian Federation, and I've since then been working in a few um, academies and and other sports programs down here. Wow. Look at you making the ACC proud. (laughs) Wake Forest alum up in here. Um, So what what do you think is the state of Brazilian football in in terms of you being there? What have you seen from from the education process? Well, uh, certainly there's no fault of talent. Uh, It's all over the place. Um, I think uh, they've reached a nexus, Brazil, where they recognize that talent alone doesn't get the job done. I think they've, they've benefited from such uh, incredible talents. I mean, some of the best of all time. Uh, and they're at a moment where they realize that I think the coaching staff, the back staff, uh, development is important and they can't keep relying on, um, on, you know, global gems showing up out of nowhere. So they're in this transitional period, I think, of trying to um, look at their structures and, and maybe look to, to rebuild in a way that's deliberate and coordinated. And Bezo, there's not that many big-name coaches in Brazil at the moment. Obviously, maybe just Fernando Giniz is the one that stands out, but maybe Embizo's the next guy to take uh, Brazilian football to the next level Ooh, with these coaching I'm badges. Ready. I, I, I am ready, folks. I am ready. They just need to call me. Embizo, <laughs> now I want to shift focus to Africa because that's why we brought you in. And uh, the Moroccan football stock has gone very high in the last yeah. six couple of months. Yeah. I mean, Susanna already mentioned all their achievements. Unprecedented, really, for a nation that's wild about their football and so passionate and, and producing many players and 
finding a lot of dual nationals. Where do you see that uh, Moroccan football uh, can get to? Well, it, it looks like the sky's the limit at this current juncture in time, folks. I mean, uh, the success that they're they're experiencing now certainly did not come overnight uh, and is the fruit of, of a lot of serious labor uh, by Moroccan football proponents and, and then, of course, the, the plan, uh, the coordinated development strategy implemented uh, by the presidency since 2014. And, and, and this includes not only football on the pitch, but, of course, uh, training managers, uh, coaches, medical staff, referees. So it's a it's a very wholesale um, strategic uh, development process that looks like it's it's taking them through the roof. I want to ask about the Mar uh, the Moroccan women's team. Uh, you know, the Moroccan men are uh, 13th in FIFA rankings. Moroccan women, 72nd. But they did qualify for their first Women's World Cup. Uh, this That's is going to be a big opportunity. So football across the board in the entire country, from the lower levels to uh, both sides of the sport, are doing really well. What, are we, what, are, what can we possibly expect from the Moroccan, uh, the Moroccan women's team? Well, I think, I think we should certainly temper our expectations, uh, seeing as, as it's their you know, the first. Um, but uh, again, with the structures that are in place in Morocco and the way that they're being managed, I mean, I've heard a lot of um, good things spoken about them from my networks. Uh, and, and I think we can expect them to compete, certainly, uh, with a lot of pride um, and, and, and following sort of the, the same vein that the rest of the teams have been following, which is really to represent the plum, to play their hearts out uh, and to, to carry what has been um, a, an incredible process of transformation for Moroccan football. It's going to be tough for them. They're in a little bit of a group of that. They got Colombia, Germany, and South Korea. Ooh. So that's going to be a tough Ooh. one for them. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. again, yeah. it's like your first World Cup. Yeah. Take the positives. It's right. there. We right. score a goal. We get a we get a result. Like that's that's the story because we're there trying to, you know, obviously change the future for the mm -hmm. sport for for women in that that's country. Right. And Baisel, let's flip. Turn the page, let's, let's flip it upside down and talk about players of African descent coming back to, to the continent to give back and volunteer and, and try and spread the knowledge and, and wealth that they've, they, where they've grown up and, and, and accumulated over the years. What, what can you tell us about Mbappe going over to Cameroon and, and, and seeing some of these sites? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's it's a it's a big movement that's been happening recently, uh, and, and I think a lot of Africans are very pleased to see it. Um, they they do this for a number of reasons. Of course, as you mentioned, there's the humanitarian reasons where they go in to, to support various causes uh, through their foundations or or just on an independent basis. Uh, but a lot of them also go back to reconnect with their homelands, and and many of us Africans who have grown up in the diaspora. Uh, understand the importance of that reconnection on, on a very profound uh, cultural, even spiritual uh, level. And, and many of them are sort of discovering uh, another aspect, uh, another component of their identity, uh, which I think is key to any any individual's well-being, uh, but also to, to their process of um, uh, sort of helping bring um, notoriety to these African nations and, and some of the problems they're going through, but also the beautiful things that they boast. My father was born and raised in Gambia, has never taken um, me back. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm having so, a, a morning footy trip. To, <laughs> morning footy Charlie trip to Davis. Gambia. I, I, Please count me in, folks. Please count me in. Okay. Yes. 
I, I want to ask about the, the buildup of the sport in, in Africa, especially outside of the parts of North Africa, which we've spoken about, that have had some great development. West Africa in particular, we've seen some great teams in the past from whether it's Ghana or Nigeria. What could possibly be next? Are maybe the domestic leagues, are they, are they starting to become a bit more competitive? Well, that's what that's what should be uh, uh, happening, at least, uh, uh, Alexis. This is this is what Morocco has gotten right that maybe uh, other African nations are still a little bit behind on. Um, strengthening the domestic leagues, uh, making them more professional across the board. Um, you know, inputting standards that can be managed, maintained, and observed uh, so that these leagues can really raise the bar. Um, and that's what's really been missing. Uh, you have a lot of. Um, academies, sort of single academies in, in, in countries like Ivory Coast, countries like Ghana, um, but they do not operate in any coordinated way um, with the with the FAs, uh, with other clubs, and, and so on and so forth. So if that can happen, then maybe you might see uh, a, a surgence uh, of talent and, and, and national teams that are really quality at the world stage uh, because they've done the work at the grassroots level. Um, Camerooners certainly started to do that with Samuel Eto'o, um, in the presidency, uh, and we hope that uh, the rest of the continent can follow suit. What beautifully decorated uh, apartment. I see, I see the uh, Nigeria uh, jersey hanging yeah. on the wall, the, the continent yeah. of Africa in the back, another jersey back yeah. there. Okay. A lot of greenery as well. You keep your plants alive. I'm very impressed. Educator, coach, <laughs> interior designer. Ambizio's <laughs> <laughs> doing it all, dude. Thanks, folks. Ambizio, personal question for you. Where are you from? I am South African. Uh, wow. However, I, I grew up in Philadelphia and, of course, went to, to Wake Forest University, uh, my first foray into university. But, uh, yeah, I grew up in South Africa. Uh, I spent some time, excuse me, growing up in South Africa. And, yeah, both both of those nations are my countries. And now Bafana, Bafana. <laughs> Bafana, Bafana. And We're going through some tough moments, but, but we'll be back. We'll be back. Do you still play at all? Have you still got it? Uh, I've got this. <laughs> not so much about the uh, the fitness. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I saw that. Ah, yeah. Yeah. A, I, I, a, a couple too many caipirinhas. Oh, okay. Look at this. Look at, look look at hey, this. Hey, hey. Kids still got it. You can't take the South the African out of him. Okay, Ronaldinho there. <laughs> <laughs> This is fantastic. Even with all the feijoada, bro, you still got it. <laughs> Even with all the feijoada, my brother. Even with all the <laughs> Too modest. Uh, well, Mbiza, we, uh, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for, for joining us today on Morning Footy. Thank you guys for having me. It's been an absolute delight.